We hear it in the voices of the hurting. We sense it in the brokenness of the world around us. Lostness is a blindness to the promise and hope of the gospel that leads to eternal separation from the Father. The world's greatest problem is lostness, and it's growing every day. Eight billion people, living in 195 countries, speaking over 7,000 languages. Today, more than half have yet to hear the good news of the gospel. The vision God gives us in Revelation 7-9, a multitude from every nation, all tribes, peoples, and languages, fuels our desire to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. But we must be willing to go further than we've ever gone before, to the very edges of lostness, where more than 3,000 people groups have no missionary presence and likely no access to the gospel. No one is engaging them. Together, we can change that. We know the love and hope and peace of the gospel. We know the way, the truth, and the life. We know the power of true redemption. We will not ignore lostness. We will not be silent. We will not stand still. From the Great Commission until the Great Multitude, we must unite in this great pursuit to reach every nation, no matter the cost.
It's great to meet you. It's a joy to be with you today. I have to tell you that your reputation has preceded you. I put a little note on my Facebook page that I was coming here to preach today, and I heard from so many people who think this is a special church and who have great comments to say about uh, your fellowship. It's it's our joy to be with you today. We thank God for that. Before we set in front of Princeton and Kings, clouds that people in Florida produce, and common people like this, are building for time. We just get on the back of this team, a shapeless mass in the book of rules. With which to build a life of one. Suddenly, what? My desire, my heart's desire, is that we have all time to do that. God will meet with us. He's been praying for that. And if other folks that know about us are praying for that today. We do it about ourselves. We know anything about it, but uh, we've passed it for 47 years. 
I want to ask you to turn with me today to a passage that you already are very familiar with. And I'm not going to be sharing anything new with you, but this message has been on my heart. I guess you kind of say it's part of my life's message. I love this passage, and I'm so grateful for the emphasis in the music this morning on the holiness of God. If I had only one word to describe God, it would have to be the word holy. Now, God is much more. God is love. God is kindness. God is grace. And God is mercy. God is, is justice. And God is wrath. You know, we couldn't care to reflect on that. But all of those other attributes flow out of his character and of his being, which is holy. The word holy implies that he is unlike anyone or anything else. God is set apart. He's different. And Isaiah had an experience in Isaiah chapter 6 that literally changed his life. It was a moment of justice. Like September the 1st, 2001, or September 11th, rather, 2001, became a moment of destiny for our nation. Changed history after the Now, well, those of you who are from my generation, December the 7th, 1941, the bombing of Fort changed history for the nation. Well, Isaiah chapter 6 changed Isaiah after the nation. And I want to read beginning in Isaiah chapter 6, and I'll read beginning in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. 
And with two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door was shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone. Some translations into that. I am doomed, or I am ruined. I am lost. I am naked. Those are all words that are used to describe it. I am undone. Because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongue from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. A moment of destiny. Life would never be the same. He woke up that morning, got him a cup of coffee and a bagel. Sat down and opened up the Jerusalem Gazette, and the opening of the paper had this byline, this highlight: "King of Jerusalem is born." Uzziah was Isaiah's friend. The text in several chapters in Isaiah. Help us understand that he had easy access into the office of the king. He was a prophet of privilege. But not only was his friend now dead, many Bible scholars believe that Isaiah was physically related to Isaiah. Uzziah had been a great king, one of the best. He had ruled for 52 years. He co-ruled with his father the early part of his ministry. But then for 52 years, he ruled as a solo king. He, he was blessed of God that caused Israel to be restored economically, to prominence, to be restored in, in the geography that they ruled over, to be restored militarily. He rebuilt the army. He was a well-respected, well-loved king. But at the latter end of his life, you'll remember from your Old Testament study, he usurped the authority of the high priest. And he did something that only a high priest was supposed to do. And he went in to offer incense, and when he did, splotches began to break out on his face. 
And the priest rushed in and escorted him out and said, King, you are violating Scripture. You can't do this. This is for the priest only. And when they carried him out and they took him home, he lived the last several years of his life in isolation because God so this great king lived the last seven years of his life walking down the street with his entourage, but every time he would meet somebody, he would have to cover his mouth and say, I'm trained! in the middle of the temple. We don't know. But we know that he was carried into the great temple. Now, what he brought to that church, limited and defined, what he was actually supposed to bring. And there's one thesis I want to draw to your heart this morning. What you brought to church this morning has a lot to say about what you're going to bring. What you brought this morning limits what you can bring. And in some sense, what you brought to church this morning, church, defines what you will bring. So somehow, if we can bring to church what Isaiah brought to church, we can take home what Isaiah took home. Now, the last 11 years, 10 years of my life, I've flown more than I have all the other years put together. When you fly back and forth to India several times a year, you build up a lot of skylines. And, uh, and, but I have to go through, uh, go through uh, security a lot, and I've never gotten used to it. Those of you who fly, I think I'll probably get an amen out of here. But I just never have gotten used to going in there and putting my hands over my head. And they take an x-ray of my body, and there you stand naked before the world. I don't know about you, but that just bothers me a bit. So I had to think about it. As a preacher, if I had a little hand spiritual you know, I just look at this part. And before you could come in here, you would let me x-ray your heart. And let me see what's in your heart. I believe I could predict with a great deal of accuracy what you're going to bring this morning. Because what you bring to the church limits the time what you bring. Now, what did I tell you? Well, let me just tell you quickly about the church. Did you notice it begins by saying, in the year that King Uzziah died? He's coming to church with grief in his heart. He's coming to church with a broken understanding. He brought into the presence of God a broken heart. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Now, juxtapose those two things. 
grief and death and suffering. When he brought a broken heart, he was able to experience the presence and power and vision of God. When I started preaching, I was in the ordination. I've seen it down here in my ordination preacher was looking down at me. He was preaching right to me. And he said, Tommy, told me two things. He said, Tommy, if you ever forget what you're supposed to say. He said, if that ever happens to you, just brag on Jesus that you think that is. Well, that was good advice. But the best advice he gave me was this. He said, Tommy, if you go all the way through the Christian life, you'll never have to say that. I can't do that. I thank you for what you said as well. Just thank you. Just in time, and on a mission trip out west, he fell off of a, 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 a high uh, a ladder, some type of thing, hit his head, and died at the end of the day. How did he find the Lord? How did he restore the Messiah? God is able. I, I look at couples that are, that, that are struggling in their marriage, and, and, and I, I, I have tried to remember that. As a pastor, I try to look at my people. I try to find the broken heart. But you know what? If you've got a broken heart, then you're going to have the presence of God. You are the chances to have that moment of Is your heart broken this morning? Shall we say, in the year the king of God died, you, 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 you can put it this way, in the king, in the field, that my heart is broken. In, in the year, that my son died. In, in the year that I got fired from my job. In the year that I was diagnosed with cancer. You see, it doesn't matter what the reason is, but when you bring the broken heart to God and you give Him all the pieces, it's amazing what He can do in putting it back together. Verse 3, it simply says, He seraphimly cried with one to another, Holy, holy, holy. That means that He was aware of God's holiness. Can you imagine that? Seraphim are angelic beings. Seraph means fire. Seraphim, with the I am on the end, means full. It means the burning ones. And they had six wings. With two, he covered his 
face, unable to look into the pure glory of God. With Tilly covered his feet, which is a, a symbol of humility and modesty. And with two, he flew, carrying out his service to God. And with proud antiquity, the young man As they look on to that throne, he says it's high and lifted up, and his train fills it up. Now, maybe you can probably appreciate the word train better than you do today. Not all, the only way we can identify with that today is for the bride. They have the bridal dress on, and they have the train that flows behind them, and, and people are trading that thing out. But when it says that the Lord, as the king, had a robe on, and the train of his robe filled with the So not only did he have a robe of honor, but he also had a gentleman. Now I'm thinking of that metaphor that you made in that. He's recognizing the power that he And he didn't make an application because he wanted to see that the beauty of God's holiness was adequate within itself to minister to the So he just exegetically explained Isaiah 6 and how he had to do it. Some weeks later, a young man came into his office and said, Pastor, I want to thank God. He said, The last few weeks have been the hardest weeks of my life. Found that the younger child was sexually abused. And he said, Pastor, I want you to know this. It's the only thing that's gotten me through the last few weeks. It's the beauty of God that He made that He could love. And this is it. I can't think of anything in the What do you mean by that, Brother Tommy? I mean, he brought an awareness of his own sin. Uh, he's, he's saying here, uh, I said when I, when I saw this magnificent presence of God, I lifted up. And I heard the angels singing antiphonally to one another, holy, holy, holy. He said, I said, whoa, woe is me. I am undone. came to church like I did as a single pastor, and your heart was broken, and, 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 and you had recognized that you were a sinner, I, I recognized that my life was in a mess, and I, I had tried to clean up my own life, and I couldn't even live up to my highest ideals, much less God's. That night, another Southern Baptist Church of the Spirit of God helped me to see my sin in a way I've never seen it. 
Chapter right before, chapter 5, verse 11, verse 18, verse 24. Isaiah says, Woe are you! Woe are you! Woe are you! He has that old Baptist index finger stuck out there, and he's laying it on everybody's nose, and he's calling them out for their sin. But then in chapter 6, verse 5, he stops saying, Woe are you! And he takes it to the cross. Dressed in black and across his head, the bottom of his head, and on his back. I preached that day. Things were extended the invitation, he stepped out from the door back there. Came down the aisle, and I did, I did that day what I always did. When I got close, I took a couple of steps out to the door and stuck out my hand to the altar. And when I did, he did this. Here am I. What's he doing? He's saying, Lord, you do in me whatever you want to do. In other words, he's signing a blanket statement. Are you ready to do that? One of my favorite verses of the Word of God is John 7, 17. Write down if you struggle with the Word of God. He said, if any man would do his will, he shall know of the doctrine that the Lord is the Lord. If any man would do it, he shall know it. We turn that back and we say, God, you help me to know it, and I'll show you whether or not I do it. Isn't that right? God, if you'll show me, then I'll, I'll vote on your will. I'll decide whether I want to do your will. God said, no. I don't reveal my will on those conditions. God reveals His will when you give an only conditional commitment. Lord, not my will, but Thy will. 
If you break broken hearts, God will accept me and open up. What can you expect at that point? You take all my identity. What did he take on? Well, number one, he took all of the This, he, he took a coal of fire from off the altar. Remember? It's the fire. And he placed it on the old house of the years. And he said, now, you're seeing You know, I, I don't understand all that I think there is in this, but I think you say that our forgiveness is connected to somebody. You know, John chapter 12, verse 41, teaches us that in this vision, it was Jesus Christ that God saw. You look at that. And so, Jesus had the Then, that's what holiness comes Then, I heard the voice of the Lord. When then? He didn't hear the voice of the Lord until after his sin was forgiven. It's never a compliment when you go out and say, well, I didn't get a thing out of this thing. Sometimes it's not the preacher's fault. It's how you can get to that line. You took home the forgiveness of sin. You took home the forgiveness How long is it that you get out of your car and say to your wife,
The wrath that I deserved, Jesus took. Priest and his entourage met him dressed in their full religious garb. And they begged Pompey not to desecrate their holy He pushed them aside, walked on, straight through the court of the Gentiles, straight through the court of the women, got on through and came to the holy place, and became obvious that he was about to enter into the most holy Again, the high priest begged, please, Lord, please. Our, our high priest only goes once a year, and that's after much ritual cleansing. Please don't desecrate our holy place. He pushed it aside, lifted up the curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place, and he went in. Barclay described that he didn't stay there. But he came out with a rather confused look on his face. And this is what there is nothing in that place that God is going to be a good thing. Thank you. 
Thank you. 